You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. Uh, We have, for the last several weeks, been in this Heroes of the Faith, Old Testament to New Testament, and then there's probably no shock value to it as we inch close to Christmas. Uh, Because I want to keep my job, we're going to be talking about Christmas and Heroes of the Faith on Christmas. It would be very, you know, counterintuitive and anticlimactic to sing all these Christmas songs and then talk about something, you know, in the Old Testament still. And so here we are. Last week, we talked about John the Baptist's parents, and we looked at them as an example of faith. And then today and next Sunday, we land on the infamous couple. Who do you think it is? Mary and Joseph. Man, you're prophetic. The Lord tells you things. Okay, so we are talking about specifically Joseph today. And right out of the gate, I want you to see something about him, that he trusts God no matter what. That's been a theme for us. That's a hero of the faith. This guy gets a little bit of airtime that goes a long way. In fact, after the story of Jesus' birth, Joseph kind of falls behind the scenes. We don't really know what happens to him. And Mary continues throughout the narrative, even to Jesus on the cross. But he deserves some airtime because he's one of the most underappreciated characters, not only in the New Testament, but really in all of Scripture. He is the father, the earthly father, not the biological father because it was an immaculate conception, but he is the earthly father of Jesus Christ himself. And so you have to kind of take a step back from that and say, well, why would God choose him? And hopefully after we get done today, you will see clearly why God would choose this man of faith, even in the midst of trusting God through public embarrassment that we're going to talk about today, even the community that would have shamed him for what he's going through in this text today. He trusts God no matter what. And so here's what I want us to walk in as a church. And uh, specifically, if you're at a certain stage of life, maybe you want to write a few things down. I have some things that I text to myself throughout the week that I think are of value that we can just kind of have a snapshot of a statement that we can walk in. Uh, But as we go through this text, I want you to see something specifically about Joseph that in my mind, and hopefully your mind as well, he's more than just a person. He actually represents a larger idea for all of us. He's more than just a person. We need to see him as someone who transcends culture. So he doesn't just exist 2,000 years ago. He exists in a sense today in his values. And a time in which he lives, we need to see him as more than just a person, and you can write this down, Joseph is a standard. Joseph is not just a person, Joseph is a standard, and he represents the character specifically that young, godly men pursue. He's a bit of a, what we can call him, a a diamond in the rough. From my experience, this is just, you know, research from one person's perspective, It's not anything that's going to get published, but from my perspective, if that means something to you, he's definitely a diamond in the rough. From my perspective, he's less than a one percentile man. Joseph represents a standard for men to follow, specifically young men. And so at the end of the message, I decided as I wrote things down on my phone throughout the week that I thought were important to tell myself, I'm going to give you a little giveaway here. I am going to walk through how you find a Joseph. And that's specifically, obviously, towards the ladies. Uh, But he represents something. 
And I had this one thought, I think maybe it's worth writing down, that he is mature in his faith, even though he's numerically a very young man. We don't know exactly how young. He's not as young as Mary, but he's definitely not old. And I had this thought that you don't mature with age, you mature with wisdom. True? Anyone known some really immature old people? Like old, I'll throw myself on the you know, carving block, old being balding or you know, midlife or whatever. I, I've, as I've gotten older, I've gotten to know a lot of people that are in my stage and you kind of track them through the years of when you went to high school with them and so you don't know them, but you see them. And I think, man, I think they're younger now and dumber now than they were, as dumb as they were when I knew them at 16. And I creep on Facebook because I have a fake Facebook account and I can see these things happening or my sister will send it to me and I'm going, my goodness, they, they literally are dumber now than when they were 16. Are you tracking? No judgment, but kind of, right? And so maturity is not an age. Maturity is something that you gain with wisdom and discipline. And Joseph and Mary were both young, but he gives, and this is important too, God gives out of everybody that he's ever created, he gives this special task of raising his one and only son to this young man who has nothing but his character and his obedience, which is in turn everything. He gives him this task of raising his one and only son, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. This is a massive, massive, massive role. And I was thinking about the significance of it, and I I had this other thought as I was working out yesterday with a, a college guy from church, and I was trying to pour wisdom on him because he's single and just trying to show him you know, how he can be better in life, and I love giving advice, and so I was giving him advice, and, and I said this to him, and, ma- and maybe you can own this too, maybe you can relate. Uh, have you guys ever heard the saying that uh, if you wanna know what a woman's gonna be like, this is important, look at me when I tell you this, I think you'll like this. Who's heard this? If you wanna know what a woman's gonna be like in 20 years, you look at her Mother, okay, good, sorry, I'm deaf. Um, Here's what I found to be more true. Just me, pouring out wisdom on a college student. If you wanna know what a man is gonna be like in 20 years, look at his father. I have found that to be even more true. Here's why I think it's true. Because men aren't always the best communicators but they like modeling and apprenticeship, and so it's kind of like show me, show me how to live, show me how to act. I might not ever consciously think how I'm supposed to do these things, but if you lead me, if you show me, then men tend to be emulators. I remember even my dad, and even though in some ways we were so different, if you were to meet him today, although he's been with Jesus for 11 years now, if you were to meet him today, you would probably say what a lot of people said in my family. You remind me so much of your father. You have the exact same sense of humor, which you can see without knowing him that's probably scary, right? Even though in some ways we're so different, in some ways we, are, we would still be so incredibly similar because I watched this man operate year after year after year. And then when he died, I got really close to Ann's dad and I just modeled a lot of the things that I saw in him because that's what I do as a man. And so although it's true, women in 20 years, look, we wanna see what they're gonna be like. You can see that they're gonna be like their mother. I think it's even more significant with men because they're so big on apprenticeship and modeling and just kind of repeating the cycle for good and for bad. And so why I tell you that this morning is God knows this. He knows men's wiring. He knows how they emulate. And he says, here's this young man who has nothing on paper. I want this man to be a model for my only son, Jesus, as he grows up in a carpenter's family. 
And so I will say it again before we read the text. For these reasons, Joseph is a huge, huge deal. Joseph is more than a person. He represents a standard. This idea of men's leadership in the home, Barna Research confirms it. The majority of families fall in line, mothers, daughters, sons, when the man takes the spiritual leadership of the home. And ironically, the inverse is not true. When a mother loves and serves Jesus, it is not a clear predictor of spiritual health and vitality in the home. And so this role is massive. So how do you find a Joseph? How do you emulate a Joseph? What are those traits that he possesses in this text? Look with me, you'll see it for yourself. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. Just so you know right out of the gate, this would have been incredibly scandalous. And her husband Joseph, being a man and unwilling to put her to shame, underline that, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what does a godly man look like? What does spiritual maturity look like regardless of age? Here's what it looks like. It's on display. You can fill it in. Joseph puts his needs second, and that's what godly men do. That's what godly leaders do. He says, here's what I would want, but I'm going to not do what I want. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And so you're going to see a little glimpse of it in these verses, and then you're going to really see it unfold in the next few verses when an angel gets involved. Joseph puts his needs second because that's what godly men do. And he puts his needs second because he decides that he's not going to put her to shame, even though when he finds out that she's pregnant, it would have been incredibly shameful. Everything in his flesh would have wanted to put her on display, and there could have been all sorts of consequences that would have been devastating as the community would find out that she's going to have a kid, and she's not even married, she's just betrothed, and they all would have been asking a lot of questions to say the least. And so it's worth defining this process of betrothal so we understand what it is together. In the Old Testament, then going into the New Testament, it was Jewish custom that allowed a young man to marry his bride through the process of betrothal. And so think of the term in the terms of kind of like an engagement, but not maybe the way that we see it. It's like you're married. I'm going to see how far I want to go with this in my head before I say it. It's like, it's like you're married, but not married. Are you tracking? All right, ask your parents what you think that means later, right? It's like you're married, but not in all senses of the terms. And so in these days, it's often true as well that there were arranged marriages, which I've told you many times before in church, I don't personally see that as a bad thing. I would probably adopt that if I could. I want to know who my 12-year-old is going to marry someday, and I want to approve. And so uh, I know that that's extreme, but I don't think it's a bad idea. When I was 12, I, I definitely did, but not now. And so what you would do is you would pay a fee if you were the husband. You choose a bride for your son if you're the parents, and you know the son would be involved, the parents would be involved. On the other side, the, the family would be involved. And uh, in preparing for this sermon, I actually, just by the sovereignty of God, was watching Amazon Prime this week, and I was watching Fiddler on the Roof. Have you guys seen that? If I were a rich, have you guys seen that? Okay, go watch it, because I think, although it's not in the same time, time 
context, it gives you kind of a feel for what it would have been like to be a Jew and have these types of things where there were matchmakers. And maybe you know Fiddle from that song, Matchmaker, Matchmaker. Okay, wake up, people. You're killing me, all right? I'm going to get pulled off stage. I'm getting no feedback. And so maybe you know that movie, but that's kind of what it's like. And so he's in this situation where the bride's family has gotten the dowry. They're paying the price, making sure the girl was pure. Here's the strategy of the betrothing. Because it takes a year, if there's any funny business going on prior to this engagement, it would have been found out because a pregnancy is nine months. It's like an insurance plan to make sure that everything's above water. And so in every other way, this couple's married, but there's this time of no intimacy in a physical sense. And so Joseph is humiliated by Mary to find out that she's pregnant, but his character is such, and this is why it's so cool, his character is such where he knows he has to end it, but he's not going to bring any public shame on her. In fact, he could be saving her life because now if he divorces her quietly, maybe she won't lose her life for this act of seemingly infidelity. So this guy has character like few men. And then it says this in verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name what? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, this is immediate obedience. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took his wife. Second thing is this, Joseph obeys God at the cost of his own reputation. He obeys God at the cost of his own reputation. He's ready to sign the papers He's ready to finalize this process of divorce, and then God shows up. And I love how God shows up, because God shows up, and he doesn't necessarily take away the suffering, take away the shame, at least by the community, the small community of Nazareth that they're from. He doesn't take away necessarily the rumor mill, because you have to actually believe Mary and Joseph, which I don't know about you, that seems far-fetched, does it not? You have to believe their narrative to not feel shame for them or against them, And so he obeys God regardless. He changes his game plan and God shows up. He doesn't take away the suffering, but God shows up in the suffering of Joseph. And then Joseph responds with this act of obedience, even at the cost, like I said, of his own reputation. And even though he knows now, because he's he's had this experience, he's had this dream with this angel, he knows the reality of his situation. Trust me on this. Can, Can we walk in this together? No one else would have probably believed this narrative. No one else would have believed this narrative, and so he is now, has a tarnished reputation, and Joseph decides that a bad reputation is better than disobeying God. The context of their storyline is rural. Like I told you last week with, with Elizabeth and Zechariah, they don't just know you, they know everything about you, they know what you had for breakfast. It's like you go to that one gas station with one stoplight and everyone talks about stuff from 10 years ago and the only thing that really matters are the local sports teams and they can go back generations as to how the teams did. This is the type of environment that they're living. And so to get pregnant, Mary's probably 13, 14 years old. This is a huge deal. 
Joseph looks like an idiot to everyone he's been around his entire life. Mary can't read, she's probably illiterate. Joseph may not even be able to read as well. He's a carpenter, he's not educated. He's kind of an, a nobody in the midst of nobodies. And Joseph decides that a bad reputation is better than disobeying God. And our reputation has the same principle attached to it. Do we care more about what God thinks than what man thinks? And when God says to do something, when God says to strike, do we walk in that type of obedience? This is what sets him apart. This is why I call him a one percentile type of man. He follows God no matter what. And then the Bible says this. But he knew her not, and to know her is the intimacy But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Here's why we love Joseph and the small narrative that we get to snapshot from him. Fill this in. Joseph displays self-control. This is why he has character. This is what sets him apart. If anyone has the right to be exempt before the sex before marriage clause, if anyone has it, it's Joseph. If anyone can justify in their mind, which is what we do in our sin, is it not? If anyone could justify in his mind why the rules don't really apply to him, it has to be this character, this son of God's father, earthly father, Joseph, in how he handles his lifestyle with this young bride, Mary. Joseph took his wife but knew her not until after Jesus was born. Here's why that's so significant to me, and maybe it's significant to you. God already told Joseph the future. Look at me. Don't space off. Right here. This is important. God already told Joseph the future. He already knew. This is what we don't know. He already knew they were going to be together. He already knew how the story ended. He already knew the significance of Jesus. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God gave Joseph the game plan, but he still had to walk him through the process. God gave Joseph the game plan, but he still walks him through the process. This is a leader amongst leaders. And there's an application there, which is why I say he's a standard. Leadership never negates the process. And young men, there'll be more at the second service. We need to walk in this together. That leadership never negates the process. Real love respects a woman enough to walk with her through the process that God puts in place. These guys are high school sweethearts. These guys grew up together. These guys knew each other's families. They had tons in common. They knew their future. But Joseph makes a clear point to do what God says to do. Mary is already pregnant. No physical consequence. Nobody would know. Because the thing that can happen has already happened. The shame that is already being placed on them has already been placed on them. And he does the right thing, and he doesn't just wait. He goes and he takes her as his bride, but he does what God says to because the virgin will conceive, the virgin will give birth, and then after that, that's when he could finally know her. He has this self-control that has to be emulated. He could have justified it. All sorts of things he could have said. He said, well, we're young. You know, God forgives. No, he says, I am gonna carve out this path that God's called me to, and I'm gonna display display self-control because I'm a godly young man with character. I'm gonna do things our God's way and not my way. I'm not gonna have sex with her before I'm married, and I'm not in this storyline, which is not our storyline. I'm not gonna have sex with her before she has this child, 
in this virgin birth. It is the exact inverse of what's happening all around us. This is a narrative that is dissipated through the course of all sorts of dysfunctions in a godless culture around us. Dating in our context is more like buying a used car than anything. In the process in which the dating process is advertised, you hide everything that will make the sell less likely and advertise what will close the deal. And of course, you have to test drive the vehicle if you're really going to decide if that's something you want long term. This is the opposite view of the way Scripture tells us to deal with intimacy. And by the time young men and women are getting to college, the statistics on hooking up and culture is staggering. For college girls, it's 77%. If you're in high school in this room, just know that you can make more mistakes one semester in college than you can rebelling all through high school because of the freedom that you now possess away from your family. 77% of college girls admit to hooking up repeatedly in college, and 84% of college guys say they do the same thing. This type of dating prepares for something. It prepares for the process of not marriage. It prepares for the process of divorce. And it takes self-control and godly character to carve out a different path because at 84%, that makes you a bit of an anomaly to say, I'm gonna live differently. I'm gonna live like this young godly man named Joseph. And so the idea in culture is if you find someone that makes you happy, you give yourself to them, but then when they disappoint you or they simply can't live up to this false pretense that you've established as to what a relationship looks like, then you go to your next relationship and your next relationship and your next relationship. And so all of these things that are happening on a biological level that are attaching yourself to this person through intimacy are pulled away from and now each relationship becomes more and more difficult. Joseph says there's a better way. It's following the plan of God in our life, in my life. I heard this somewhere. I think it was years ago. I had it on my notes, and so I know because it's really smart that I didn't think of it, but I don't know where I got it. But this is for you. God uses, I'll set it up and then I'll say it. God uses your story to bring him a lot of glory. But the inverse is also real. Satan will use the destructive tactics of the world around us to bring us down in a way that has future consequences. And I heard someone say this about relationships, and I don't know where I heard it, but I wrote it down. When the enemy cannot successfully attack your faith, he sets you up in situations that stop the progress of your faith into the next generation. And he does so relationally. I'm gonna say that one more time because I think it needs to sink in. When the enemy cannot successfully attack your faith, he sets you up in situations that stop the progress of your faith into the next generation. You see this happen in the Old Testament. The enemy chronically uses relational dysfunction to bring you not only away from the Lord, but to bring you farther away from the Lord generationally and your legacy is affected. So in the Old Testament, people are serving the Lord and then Satan uses this this plan of Balaam uh, to get the Moabite women to seduce the Israelites and then they worship this Balaam character, this false, false god, and then the Israelites start worshiping this false god and it starts with the oldest tactic in the book, seducing the men. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, the Bible tells us that if you're a Christian dating a non-Christian, you're outside of the will of God. God 
hates this strategy by the enemy and you need to understand what it is because you might think that it's not a big deal and God is saying to his church, no, this is the example and my own parents that I set up for Jesus are modeling this for you. When the enemy cannot successfully attack your faith, he will set you up in situations that stop your faith in the next generation and it is happening all over the place and the church isn't exempt. And God is saying enough is enough. And God chooses Joseph. He wants him to raise his only son, Jesus. And Joseph says as a young man, I'm gonna remain pure even though Mary is already pregnant. There could not be a more average person in scripture than this young man, Joseph. He has no social influence, but God uses him in such an incredibly big way. And so here's how I wanna close. Super practical. It might only affect 15% as I'm looking into the room. Who, who in here is a parent? Who in here wants to be a parent someday? Anyone not like kids? I saw a kid just raise their hand. <laughs> I guess that makes sense, right? So I guess it affects all of us. How do you, how do you here's, here's the practical point. How do you actually... Find someone like this if it's a one percentile. Like, I know that not everyone needs to look exactly like him, and the standard can obviously be a, a little bit different. It's a little bit, you know, maybe as a father, I'm sensitive to it. But the ideal, the standard is a Joseph, and I think the practical side of closing this thing out before we go to Mary next week is, how do you actually do this? If this man is somewhat of a unicorn, then, then what do we need to do when we find and capture the unicorn to make sure that we can somehow live in this reality. And so I had, I had these thoughts, and it goes back to lifting weights yesterday. I shared this with a college student, tried it out on, on him, and, and he thought it made sense. And so because I'm getting old, because I'm balding, I feel like I need some younger people to give me some material. Here's what I came up with. If you are young and looking for a Joseph, here you go. If you are a parent and want your daughter specifically to have a chance at finding a man like this, here's what you need to know. And it's not on the screen. I just wrote it down to myself, and I want you to hear it this morning as a man who's raising a daughter himself. The first thing that I think is critical is that you have to, this is specifically talking to people who have been through stuff, which represents a lot of new life. You have to, you have to get comfortable with, with what's currently uncomfortable if you want to be in a godly relationship. And here's what I mean. We're gonna be talking about this when we talk about trauma. When you grow up in stuff that's not healthy, although you know it's wrong, you can shake your head if you're like, yeah, this is true, I've, I've experienced this. Although you know it's wrong, it also feels safe in the sense that you know what to expect and you know how to operate in that dysfunction, true? Anyone been through anything dysfunctional? I know that's my story. I had to rewire some things because those things that felt normal, even though I know they were wrong, also felt safe because I knew them. And so if you want to live differently, if you want to have a godly man in your life, then you have to be, go through this process of betrothment or, or dating where you are saying, I can feel uncomfortable for a while because this is different, but I'm gonna walk in that tension until it feels comfortable because I know it's the right thing. And so in my own experience, my dad wasn't there. Or in my own experience, 
men didn't stay. Or in my own experience, you know, men were something that you couldn't really trust. And now that I have this person that I'm pursuing that I actually can have this type of relationship with, it feels really uncomfortable because it's just too normal. This is what dysfunction does. It erodes from within because people take the easy way out because no one likes feeling uncomfortable. And this is a larger principle than just this situation with Joseph and just this situation with dating. If you ever wanna be healthy and serving the Lord, you have to walk through this process in your life where you're saying, this normal, new normal feels uncomfortable, but I'm gonna stay in it. I've tested this out on some Celebrate Recovery people coming into this Sunday. I'm gonna stay in this until it feels comfortable because it's what God's called me to do. If you don't do that, look at me, your life will never change, period. Period. And so Joseph is a standard that's a one percentile, and Mary, in her young age, feels comfortable with this, and she probably always had because they had this bond. But for us, when we've been through broken relationships and we finally find someone that lives differently, it's not gonna just be this situation where you immediately feel comfortable because you're not comfortable in the uncomfortable. Are you tracking with that? I'm gonna use that on the next service. Shake your head if that makes sense. Okay, I'll use it. Second thing is this. You have to, if you want a Joseph, you have to love Jesus more than him or he's not gonna want you. No one who really loves and serves the Lord and has a maturity in Christ is going to be deeply attracted to someone that doesn't have the same attributes. And the third thing is this, you have to have a Joseph standard before you ever meet a Joseph. You have to have a Joseph standard before you ever meet a Joseph. Here's what I mean. I've been hanging out with young people more because my kids are getting older. And in that conversation, when they're doing pretty well, they, they, they have some goals, right? And when they're not doing well, they don't know what they want to do at all. And they just kind of play video games. But when it's going right, and you talk to someone that's 16, 17, 18, whatever, you'll often hear about a future career path, ACT scores, work ethic, etc. Right? They're in the same stage as Mary and Joseph. But what I'm saying is this, if you ever want a Joseph, you have to have a Joseph standard before you ever meet him. And what I'm really saying is this, more important, write this down if you're young, more important than what you can achieve is who you will achieve it with. More important than what you will achieve is who you will achieve it with. And what I'm saying is this, you have to have a vision for your future that is more than just nuts and bolts of what you wanna do with your life in a career sense you have to have a vision for your relational health because it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. There's a reason that the divorce rate is so incredibly high and that so many people, even in marriages, are miserable because they did not walk through this process and now they're kicking themselves. You have to have a vision for the relational health that God's called you to in your life. Two things that'll stop you from finding a Joseph or inverse this, finding a Mary. There are two things that I have looked at over 20 years of personal research of people in my office. Two things that are happening that stunt this process. The first one is this, just general immaturity. You're young and the things that you should value, you don't really value because it's more about you and how a person makes you feel than the character that they display and you really have no desire in your heart because you're spiritually mature or spiritually dead to actually walk with someone who's gonna love Jesus like you do because it's not there for you. And the second thing is if that's not the issue, it tends to just be driven by insecurity you don't believe 
that you're worthy of a Joseph or you don't believe that you're worthy of a Mary for whatever reason. And so you take the easy way out because the, the, the non-negotiable is that you need somebody and so you take the pulse instead of the character. And you say in your heart without even saying it, that person will do because I feel better because I have someone. And then on and on and on and on the crisis cycle goes generation, generationally into the next generation and the next and the next and your legacy is ruined. Am I being clear enough? Man, I'm passionate about this. It affects me personally. It affects me professionally. This is how it goes, I promise you. But the good news of the gospel is this, that just like this young couple decided to follow God no matter what, we have the same choice. That we serve this Savior who redeems and transforms, and it doesn't matter what your past is, it doesn't affect your future in the sense that you can be alive in Christ and you can be a new creation. All of those things you've ever done aren't meant to condemn you. They're meant to produce in you now this fruit where you can minister to people around you because you've been through stuff. And even if you've been through unhealthy relationships, it doesn't have to stay that way. Your relational health can change because your love for Jesus can change. The hope of the gospel is that Joseph and Jesus have some similarities, but Jesus is the better Joseph. They look a lot alike. They're a father-son duo, uh, not in a physical sense, but he raises this young man, Jesus, who's perfect in every way, and Jesus and Joseph both live in a life of obedience. Jesus and Joseph both know what it's like to be unpopular. Jesus and Joseph both know what it's like to be physically poor and relationally rich. Jesus and Joseph both honor the women in their lives. Joseph takes on what seems like Mary's shame. Jesus takes on our shame. Jesus and Joseph both suffer. Both are mocked. Jesus Christ is the better Joseph because he has the capacity to change your heart, change your future, change your destiny. And so if you're a young man in this room and you're going, I don't, I, this way isn't working for me. I've been using and abusing women in a sense and I've been looking out for number one. Here's your chance to respond to the gospel and say, Jesus, have your way in my life. I'm broken. If you're a young Mary in the room and you're saying, I don't know what it even looks like to find a guy like this because no guy like this has ever even cared about me. Know this, Jesus is the better Joseph and he loves you. And he takes on your shame. And he takes on your brokenness because he is the better Joseph. He goes to a cross after he's in a manger 33 years later. He dies on it. He bleeds out so that you can live. And this Christmas when we celebrate life change through these baptisms next, this Friday coming up, just know this, Jesus Christ knows your hurt, knows your pain, he cares infinitely, and he's here to change things. It's not gonna stay the same. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you that you're good and that you're faithful and that you give us these examples of faith and scripture that show us how to live differently. And so we cling to your promise that we can live a transformed life because you died on a cross and you rose from death and you gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And we pray that you would heal us from the inside out and that it would change the way that we live in all of our earthly relationships. And we pray this in your name and everybody said, amen.